Hello Tennis Weekly listeners, this episode is brought to you by Tennis Channel. Tennis Channel is the only place in the UK where you can watch the 2022 Davis Cup finals and catch players like Felix Auger-Aliassime, Matteo Berrettini, Marin Cilic, Francis Tiafo, and Denis Shapovalov as they battle it out for their nations to become the world champions of tennis. You'll also be able to catch the Battle of the Brits in December featuring Andy Murray where he will be taking on the likes of Jack Draper and Dan Evans. Plus, with the Tennis Channel subscription, you get exclusive access to original shows featuring top players, award-winning documentaries, and coaching videos. Sign up now to Tennis Channel at www.tennischannel.app or download the app and use the code UKDC at checkout for 50% off your annual subscription. That's just £12.50 for an entire year's worth of access to Tennis Channel. So once again, that's www.tennischannel.app or download the app and use the code UKDC at the checkout for 50% off. And the link is in the description. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Tour Catch-Up. Switzerland win the Billie Jean King Cup. Nakashima triumphs undefeated at the next-gen finals. And the ATP end-of-season finals get underway in Turin. Kim, Chris, today is the 14th of November and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. We have had finals galore at the moment. We have just had the Billie Jean King Cup finals where Switzerland have been the victors. We have just got back, myself and Chris, no jet lag to speak of on the on the short flight for me anyway from uh, Glasgow back to London. We've also had the next gen finals, Brandon Nakashima going undefeated throughout the event and we of course have the ATP end of season finals underway in Turin but first of all Kim most importantly we haven't even had a chance to speak about which started all long ago last Monday the final between Arena Sabalenka and Caroline Garcia in Fort Worth dare I say is the renaissance complete I know, uh, absolutely spectacular. Um, I know we recorded literally, you know, a couple of hours before the final last week, and uh, yeah, it's 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 amazing that the Renaissance is here. I mean, I don't know where where do we go from here now? Now that Caroline Garcia Renaissance two point yeah. What will the Australian? What Open, is the is Renaissance two point new... Is that Grand Slam title? Is that getting to world number one? Is the Andy Murray prophecy gonna? actually come true it could do she doesn't have many points to defend uh the start of next season and someone like Shvontek would would have a lot so could mathematically could could Mm. Garcia get to that point I mean Chris what do you think is this are we are we sort of clutching at ridiculous straws here or we do we Mm. have a point I you definitely have a point I think after this season it can go one of two ways either she will go back to number 70 in the world or she will be maybe the undisputed number one, but if she can do it in another tournament. I reckon Grand Slam <laughs> Renaissance 2.0 is pretty is pretty doable at this stage. I saw you note on our WhatsApp group: France have GB in next year's Billie Jean King Cup qualifiers. So I'm not thinking about Grand Slam. I'm thinking about that tie and who Gar- Caroline Garcia is going to play potentially in that tie. Is it going to be Emma Raducanu? Is it going to be Harriet Dart? Because for me, that's where the Renaissance should be happening. I mean, that would be a good tie. It definitely will have um, 
a good crowd there because <laughs> it's not far for the French no. to go. And I'd ask you, uh, Kim, who are you going to support for that one? Oh, that's a well, good one. Well, I mean, I would, I would support Team GB because, you know... It's, <laughs> but you might wear a beret. <laughs> I might wear a beret and eat a croissant, Have some maybe. baguettes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, we're not stereotyping at all, are we? Um, but no, she is only the second French player to have won the WTA finals. Um, Amelie Moresbo being the first 17 years ago. Um, you know, she's, yeah, got the biggest title of her career. Super, super pleased for her. I mean, it has been a, a really remarkable... Um, you know, season for for her, and it's just uh, I, ho- I hope it it continues and and goes goes on further because um, yeah, just just really fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I know obviously that was like at the start of the week. That was probably my my highlight of the week, I have to say. Um, but I know you guys have been busy up in Glasgow. I've been really excited getting your WhatsApp updates every day <laughs> with all your fun and games from the media room. So, I mean, do, do you have, um, you know, a particular highlight from the last week from not just Glasgow, but I guess elsewhere on the tour as well? That is a great question. I think I'd have to go cheat the rules here and say it was pretty great when um, Tennis Weekly got a shout out in the press room. So I think um, that was probably... The highlight from Glasgow, I think, when we talked about it, Startled made everyone me. do. He went into meltdown almost. That was at the start <laughs> of the week, and um, it was a little tear in my eye. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, and then um, I had to ask another question, so I had to regroup pretty quickly um, <laughs> from that moment. But that was um, obviously great fun. And then from the tennis week, it has to be something um, when I thought I was seeing sort of a case of deja vu when I saw Belinda Bencic crouched over Jill Teichman, recreating that infamous moment. Um, from Beijing in 2008 when Roger Federer and Stan Wawrinka won <laughs> gold. And I just thought it was just hilarious as a concept. But also, like, how long has she been saving this up for? Was she saving it up <laughs> in Tokyo in 2020 when they got the silver medal uh, with Goldie Bitch in that one? Um, and it, she couldn't do that by herself when she won the singles gold. So clearly she's like, Billie Jean King Cup is my time. And um, they knew exactly what to do. They both got the memo. And uh, I recommend you check that out because... Um, Federer doing that was just hilarious but Bencic doing it a second time I think is even funnier potentially I love that celebration I think it's such an iconic iconic one and I remember when Federer and you know Stan did it at the Beijing Olympics and it was just it was just so funny um, so I'm, I'm really pleased that Switzerland brought that out the can I have to say well I feel like what we we need to see next is we need to see the the trilogy completed maybe at the United Cup and we have a male and a female player from Switzerland who would be on the floor like doing the Vavrinka pose and who do you think would be doing the the camera pose on top that is a tricky one isn't it (laughs) I think that it can't be the same players it always has to be different Mm. people that's got to be the rule so I think that Benchich would be out from that one. And I'm not, I'm trying to think about who would be it from Switzerland. I can't remember who's on the team, but I would say um, different each time. So they can rotate it after each match win if they have them in wherever they're playing in Perth or somewhere in Australia. Well, would, would that, it might get a bit old though, the more they do it, but I feel like it could be a, you know, it could, could be a, could become an iconic, not not a dance move, but a, yeah, celebration <laughs> move. Uh, right up I there mean, with the Brian Brothers bump, I think. Oh, Yes. I mean, we yes. did see that actually, didn't we? Between who was it, Coco oh, yeah. Goff and, and Katie McNally. McNally, I think, at the end of their match when they celebrated doubles victory, they did a little little bump together, didn't they? They did indeed. So, Joel, what's been your highlight of the week? Um, looking back over the last seven days, I think it's been quite a lot, actually, isn't there? Not you know, not just all your fun in Glasgow. 
of course, I would have been really thrilled to see Yelena Ostapenko back at Riga Nails, showing off her <laughs> new nails, but also showing off an interesting hairstyle. I'm not sure if it's a permanent thing, but she's got this kind of braids look going on in, in, in her latest Instagram story, which, again, listeners, you should be checking out just for just to see if you think the braids look is a good look on Yelena Ostapenko. I mean, think back to Karolina Pliskova a few years ago when she tried out the braids look. Ostapenko, I don't know if, if she's taken inspiration from there, but for me, that was <laughs> certainly an interesting, yeah, interesting one from Ostapenko. Um, but no, in all seriousness, what has been a highlight for me has been what I would say is kind of a really big storm in a teacup. And this is the kind of ongoing trials and tribulations of Novak Djokovic and his what he calls magic potion water bottle from the uh, the Paris Masters where a video basically went viral of his physio mixing a drink and of course this just sent all of social media into meltdown about what it was was it um you know what what was it what what was being made because it looked very kind of shady in a rucksack mm. you couldn't really see what was going on and as a result you hear you got all these kind of conspiracy theories coming out of of what it was you got Novak Djokovic's wife Yelena get involved as well so yeah for me it was just kind of seeing this story just have many more legs than I feel like it didn't necessarily have. I feel like mm. this isn't the first time that we've had this kind of speculation around um <laughs> Djokovic and I feel like when his wife gets involved it's you know Ooh, it's yeah. doing the rounds on on Twitter and and all of that but yeah I think um, maybe it's been a bit over the top uh in terms of the reaction um <laughs> and I mean yeah it's uh I think there's always going to be a bit of a hoo-ha about it but maybe the PR from from team Djokovic could be a bit a bit better uh <laughs> I know it's like they've they've just like decided not to nip it in the bud and just let the the theorists, I think, take over. I think that's part of the fun of it, though, isn't it? You know, this is the exact sort of thing that kind of people who support a different <laughs> member of the Big Three are like, it's true, we found hard evidence when it's yes, like, to be honest, he probably it's just in the didn't want people to know what he was like, what his special thing is. It's gluten-free, it can't be that amazing. <laughs> Chill out, everyone. Oh, <laughs> any gluten-free listeners, yeah. Well, actually, I mean... that's not true. Gluten-free is probably fine, but I think it's probably, I mean... If they were going to do, if something dodgy was going on, why would they do it on court? Like, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would be a bit sense. stupid, wouldn't it? But yes, no, quite a lot to, to talk about this week on the tour. Um, you know, results aside, it's been a, a bit of uh, bit of fun and games and speculation. Uh, but yeah, the week did start with the end of the WTA finals. Obviously, just mentioned Caroline Garcia winning the singles. Uh, we also had uh, Kuda Metafer and... Um, Mertens winning the doubles out in uh, Fort Worth. It was their first finals title uh, and they came through against Krachikova and Sinyakova, who were the defending champions. So uh, that was a, uh, a champions tiebreak uh, coming back from 7-2 down to uh, to come through in that one. And uh, yeah, Mertens having a quick turnaround to join you guys in Glasgow, of course. And Sinyakova, actually. And Sinyakova, yeah, like really not a great uh, transition between the two venues, but um, obviously they, uh, yeah, they've. I mean, they've both had great seasons on tour. Even Krajikova and Sinyakova, despite winning that, they've uh, they've won three Grand Slam titles. So uh, it's been a fantastic season for them. But I mean. We've heard from you both in the week as well, your, your lovely tour diaries from the Billie Jean King Cup final. So we won't go across the whole week because you've obviously covered that uh, 
in depth uh, throughout the week for our lovely listeners. Uh, we have the two semi-finals to talk about, though. Great Britain did feature. I think we were all quite pleasantly surprised that we, we got there, considering we were eliminated back in April and only in on a wild card as the host of the, the tournament. But Australia, Britain. Now, Chris, I remember you saying, I think you were tipping us to... Uh, to, to get this done, weren't you? But yes, I think I was. It wasn't quite to be. It was so close, though. Mm. Barnett and Nichols just kind of losing out in a match tie break in that doubles tie. But what did you make, Chris, of the um, of Team GP's performance in that semi? Well, firstly, thanks for reminding me of that. Um, and secondly, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was uh, watching it live, um, and I think it's always difficult, you know, coming off such a fantastic match against Spain to kind of keep that form going. And it's a very different sort of um, situation because rather than it be have to win everything, you know, you just got to get the win. So I think for Heather in that match, it sort of looked like there was something that was kind of weighing on her a little bit. Like she didn't play badly at all, but it wasn't quite kind of the lights out tennis she played before. And it's obviously very hard to do that uh, twice in a row. But if that tie break had gone a little bit differently um, in the in the doubles, I mean, it was all so close. Um, but the standout for me in that one, it has to be, the level from Harriet Dart, I, I did a tweet saying she's an aggressive baseliner now, and I think maybe she is. Maybe her whole game plan should be hug that baseline and really, um, really thump the ball because she was piling on the pressure. She was moving so well and she was um, hitting winners that I've never seen her hit before. So whatever happens, I think um, they, did, they did a great job. Um, just such a shame that it didn't quite get that sort of uh, the fairy tale story of making the final, but it was a good match and... Um, I said to her, Storm Sanders needs to take a bow because she is, I mean, how many matches has she played this week? Um, so I think fantastic effort, but unfortunately, um, we're waiting for France now in April before we play again. I mean, Storm Sanders was a real revelation, wasn't she? Like you said mm. this week. And I also think Harriet Dart, I mean, Harriet Dart beating Tom Janovich. Joel, did you, did you see that one coming? Um, you know, Tom Janovich has had a great season this, this year. So I thought that result was particularly impressive yeah I think you know for me it, it was impressive given you know the way that Harriet Dart um had started you know in the week we saw her match against Rybakina and it you know it wasn't um it wasn't good you know she was it felt like at times she was just being hit off the court but I remember in her press conference then you know she was you know she was pretty happy with the way she played she was just you know basically saying look when someone is playing as well as Rybakina serving down you know one two five at me there's not so much you can can do about it but her singles performances against Bedosa and Tomjanovic for me were were really really impressive and actually showed to me that she can hang with those you know aggressive baseline players and you know can do more than just sort of live with them she can actually take it to them as well and you know I think at times you know we've seen it in, in Harriet Dart this season this you know this has been her best season on the tour and it's got me excited about what she can do on the, on the tour next season but I certainly hope that she takes from this event that she can be the the number one player for for GB, and she can handle you know those pressure moments. And I think we saw that in this semi final when you know we were one 0 down. Uh, Storm Sanders defeating Heather Watson, Harriet Dart coming in, pressure on her. Pressure was also on her in the Spain tie when we needed to win three nil, and she handled it very very well. It's not a very easy spot to play in in that um, you know that second singles. I think Tom Janovic has shown that, you know, in this semi-final, but also in the final as well, where she got kind of floored by by Belinda Bencic. So, yeah, I was really happy and impressed with with Harriet Dart. And again, I think it just shows to the, the British public that, 
yes, there's a lot of talk and, you know, rightfully so, I think about Emma Raducanu and, and her chances and her future. And of course, she's made the, the bigger impression with winning the, you know, the US Open. But certainly don't forget about Harriet Dart because she's been playing some fantastic tennis. And I just hope she can translate it from playing in these sort of team environments for GB to playing it for herself week in, week out on the WTA Tour next season. And let's look at the other semi-final that we had before we touch upon the final. Switzerland against Czech Republic. This one was a bit more straightforward with Switzerland winning 2-0. Two, 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 two rubbers to none. <laughs> um, Golubic also getting a win um, in that one over Mukova and Bencic beating Pliskova. Um, Golubic has been, I think, also another uh, really informed player this week. Did, did, you, did you see that coming, Chris, with, with Golubic for the Swiss team? I'll tell you what, the thing that I've struggled with most in the last week is trying to figure out who they're going to nominate to play. I have no idea um, for Switzerland, for Czech, well, Czech Republic, um, or actually for the for the US in terms of who they're playing, because they have so many different options, whether it was going to be Teichmann playing this one. Um, but when I saw the matchup, I did think this could be a tricky one um, for Mukova, uh, because she hasn't played that much this season. Um, and after we saw... Uh, Golubic win early in the week it definitely looked like this could be a really good um, a really good opportunity those captain's picks for Czech Republic I think have come under the microscope a lot more since uh, you know since this defeat happened because mm. you know Pliskova did not play well I think was it against Italy in, in the group stages Mukova uh, as well Poland. as you said oh, sorry against Poland and then yeah against, against Lynette and then Mukova as you said not had that much tennis and given what we saw, I think, from like Sinyakova in, in the singles, I don't know if she was, you know, tired because it was a quick turnaround or, or whatever. But I don't know. For me, I was left perplexed when I saw the nominations come in and I saw Mukova Pliskova for the uh, for the singles. Yeah, Von Drusova's won 18 sets in a row. Yeah. Like, she, I, I can't believe that you'd bow out without playing her. So I think um, it's a case where the Swiss seem to get it right. And they know when to mm. rotate and when to... Um, well, what they should do, because they can almost always count on Belinda Bencic getting the singles win. And then the doubles, they have options, obviously. They've got a silver medal winning pair in Bencic and Golubic, or they've got Teichmann and, and Bencic. So you've got to win one of the first two, Czech Republic, would be mm. my advice. But um, but no, I think Bencic, and then in the final, she just never looked back. Um, that was a pretty one-sided conclusion. Um, the only real interesting tie in that one was obviously the Teichmann-Storm um, Sanders result. So... Switzerland's first title. I think they deserved the title last year um, when they, I do think they were robbed they were by cheated. the Russian Tennis Federation. Yeah, and that's also how they feel, I believe, even though it was mm. within the rules, but it was dodgy. Um, so now I just think, is this what's going to happen kind of ongoing? I can see them defending it each year if you just get these three together. Yes, because last year it was, um, the was it the Russians fielded a different player? Was it they fielded Sam They changed Tomica. it, yes. They changed yeah, it within the hour. So, yeah. so then a player who was actually ranked lower than their number two played the number one slot because of an injury mm. pullout, which you can't play as a nominated way of playing because it has to go by ranking. So it was sneaky. Yeah. And Ben Chich informed me, actually impressed that the rule has changed. But we were talking about it afterwards and it sort of has changed. But if someone gets injured in that hour, you know, um, then it could be a, uh, an issue because last time they couldn't have been injured in that hour because they didn't even practice that morning on the schedule. So it was all very, very um, tense. But this time, I think that that's not going to, that's not going to, uh, people won't get away with that this time. 
I feel like the final, you know, it's been such a great event. I feel the final was a little bit of a letdown, if I was being honest, particularly that second singles, because I thought this was going to be a real dust up from the, the baseline. You know, I know Benchich has had a great week and I feel like she actually plays her best tennis for her country. And, and there are times when I was watching her this week and I was like, well, how, you know, why have you not been able to do this on, you know, more consistently on, on the tour this season? But um, yeah, they really kind of just before and there was any sort of drama or you know questions around oh what's gonna what's gonna happen is it gonna go to a deciding doubles tie yeah it was it was already over so for me it was a yeah i'll say maybe a little bit of a disappointing final from like a, a neutral perspective but certainly i don't think switzerland would have mind given it was their first title the fact they would have been i think highly motivated given what happened you know last year in prague and to do it against Australia as well, who, you know, coming in as the, the number one ranked team, again, must feel like a very, very sweet moment. And they've got obviously a very kind of close knit group of players. And maybe because they just don't have that big personnel to call upon, like, a you know, a Czech Republic or a USA actually brings them even closer together and they fight for each other that little bit more. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case when you see some of these um, lineups. I was going to say, it is also, it's, it is one where you do get surprise results and surprise kind of um, moments for players you wouldn't have thought. Because if you look at some of the rankings of some of the players, it's Edward Storm mm. um, and being the number one sort of nation in the world, she's ranked at 239. So it's definitely one where it hasn't um, suffered from the lack of sort of high profile players. It's actually kind of been a tournament that's made by some of these stories, which I think has been, um, has been super nice. But I really don't understand um, how Australia is the number one ranked in the world. I think it's fascinating looking at players like Storm Sanders and also Sinyakova as well for, for Czech Republic that you th- you know you see their singles ranking so low, but actually you've got to tell yourself it's like that's probably because they're focusing on, on the doubles. So it for me is quite fascinating to see these doubles players by trade play in a singles environment and actually cause a little bit of a, a surprise. And again, there's I think there's a lots of reasons why you can't necessarily take your know, rankings at, at face value. And I think, again, that's another reason is that some of these players... They don't play a lot of singles because they're focusing on their their doubles game, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're, you know, they're bad on 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 the court. And uh, yeah, for me, Sanders and uh, <laughs> again, I've got to say, Sinjakova, they're just fantastic. I think when you you put them in those environments, I'm just always really curious to see to see how to see how they play because we see a lot of I think singles players play on the doubles court, but we also have, of course have doubles players who play on the singles court and. You know, going back, Kim, to you know what you talked about, Kudometeva also in the in the in the Fort Worth final. I think she's gone completely under the radar this season. I think she's in the top ten in both the doubles and singles. So, again, it's just very interesting to me how they kind of translate across both disciplines: singles to doubles, but also doubles to singles. I can't believe I'm hearing Joel say this. Um, Kim, you, can you believe this? I thought he want, was determined to categorize them as Elise Merton's the double specialist, yes. Storm Sanders the double specialist. I'm confused and now. Like, I'm, I am it's confused. Amazing. The lines, they can the hit lines have been ball. blurred. The lines have been blurred. It's definitely something we get in the women's game, isn't it? Mm. Someone being in like the top 10 or top five at, you know, of both that disciplines. Is true. But Why do you think that is? Well, shorter match times, I suppose, for, for one thing and... Just the physicality, mm. um, I, I, a whole number of reasons. Perhaps that's a, de- a debate for a, another episode. And another end of season finals that we had, uh, this time out in Milan uh, on the men's side, we had the next gen event, uh, which saw Brandon Nakashima taking home the title, uh, unbeaten 
in all five matches this week, uh, beating Yuri Lehechka in that final. First ever American winner of this event. Um, and yeah, he won 4-3, in that final, which I still find incredibly strange uh, reading out those set scores like that. Um, but yeah, what did you make of, of Nakashima across the course of the week? We also had Jack Draper getting to the semi-finals. He, you know, he had a great week. Uh, but Nakashima's in good company winning this title. If you look back at the last couple of winners, they've gone on to do pretty good things. So, Chris, what do you think Nakashima, having won this title, what do you think it means for his career? Well, I mean, I think it's obviously like a really big deal because um, I think you have to show quite a lot of um, uh, a lot of personality to win this sort of match because it's so different in the nature of the court, in the nature of um, the way that the points are scored. It's very quick fire, quick paced, um, and you can't really afford to kind of have a lapse of concentration. So, I think it does show kind of uh, kind of who is at the top of the the top of the lot, top of the pack at this point. And I think that um, coming through in this way, he's had a great season, um, and I think it's quite nice for him because you know there are some players who people would have talked about prior to the tournament who had a bit more focus on them. You know, like Massetti, Jack Draper, obviously. And um, there's a couple of 19-year-olds who are pretty good at tennis that aren't there as well. Um, so I think it's nice to to have kind of Nakashima come through. Um, but I was looking back at some of the past winners, and I think it's um, it is a shame that we aren't getting, you know, um, all of the the top kind mm. of um, ju- the um, juniors. Well, exactly, Holgerun and Carlos and the likes of that. I think it's um, it's a bit bit of a funny one. So we'll have to see because I think previous winners, everyone has almost been there, right? It's interesting because if you look at the, the past winners, for, I mean, from Nakashima's point of view, all the previous champions have either reached a Grand Slam semi-final or broken into the top 10 by the next edition. Now, do you think Nakashima is going to continue that? You know, we had Chung get to the 2018 AO semis. Sissipas did that um, in 2019, plus reached top five. Sinner, top 10 in 2021. And of course, Carlos Alcaraz, now world number one, and won the US Open this year. Do you sense that with Nakashima? Could he get to a Grand Slam semi-final next year or break the top 10? I hope so. I, I feel like with him, I'm a little less uh, certain that, you know, as opposed mm. to a Sinner or an Alcaraz, I don't think Nakashima's been lauded in the same category. And mm. I I feel like we I wouldn't we even say him. not even in like a Taylor Fritz sort yeah. of category for American tennis. Yeah, but I think Nakashima... I think he could certainly get to a Grand Slam semi-final. I wouldn't say he's going to be top five or anything, or win a Grand Slam. But I think you know mm. we could certainly see him have a have a deep run at a, an mm. event, or you know could he be a freak Masters of, uh, winner? You know, mm. sort of a bit like a Pablo Carreño Bista or something. I can <laughs> see him. Do you know what? I can actually see him breaking the top ten, but I don't actually think that I can see him being a a Grand Slam semi-finalist at the moment. I think that the level for me is so. Is such high quality. Um, we're seeing that already. I feel this week with some of the matches we've had um, in in Turin at the, the Tour Finals. I think for me that is a much tougher proposition than breaking into the top ten. Where I feel like a Nakashima, his consistency across the whole season. I think, yeah, for me, I, I can see him potentially doing that, like a you know, like a Cam Norrie. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not so certain about a Grand Slam semi final. If I'm being quite honest, I think that's probably Ooh. kind of fair when you look at it. I think. It is a bit different. Um, mm. He is a bit older than some of the previous winners. I'm not saying that this is not age shaming. He is 21 and a couple of months. So mm. old. So, <laughs> no, but when you think about it, Fe- Felix is 22. Is it weird he's been there twice? I feel like it's like 
it's an oh. event that's like you do once and then you, you move do on. once yeah. yeah 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 i guess it's that weird bit in between because obviously like carlos is almost two years younger than him and so's um holger as well and then only mm. one year older is felix so it's all it's all a bit maybe it's um mm. a bit confusing from that it's hard to because... know yeah it's yeah. just for me hard to know what to take from an event that has all these rules, this different scoreline. It's been really successful and, and really innovative and I like how refreshing it is. But yeah, I'm I'm sort of leaning towards how much can you truly take from it when it's broken what I feel like are so many of the, the tennis conventions and the fact that, you know, there are other top players in his age bracket that aren't there. I think we have to maybe take it with a little bit of a, a pinch of salt. An asterisk. Is there an asterisk next to this one? Kim? No asterisk. No, no, no asterisk is, need, is needed, I think. But I certainly just think you have to take it maybe out of context a little bit to the in relation to the tour. Would you have not played it if you were him, given that it's his second year? Is it kind of... Mm. Are you, I'm not saying it's a pointless title, but do you think like it hasn't? It wouldn't, it's not really a vast benefit... I think for someone like a Nakashima, I think there is still benefit there in terms of profile. I think for me, he's a player who maybe doesn't necessarily have like the personality or the the character maybe that some of his other um you know his his peers have. And I think an event like this actually brings a little bit of the spotlight on him more so. And I think that can be you know great for him and, and setting him up for the future mm. and. Mm putting a yeah as i said a kind of a spotlight on him but yeah in terms of like the event itself and and winning the title i think it it could be a springboard but at the same time not too sure mm. no i think that's that's fair points totally fair points um as for yuri lehechka i personally i he's <laughs> someone that i wasn't so okay with so again it's given someone like him more of a spotlight as well even though mm. he you know, was the runner up so i think um all in all you know it is a good event and i i do enjoy watching it and I've obviously go into that um well we'll touch upon this in just just a bit because um you know questions around why there isn't a uh the women's version so um but let's take a quick break now before we move on uh we'll be back in the second half talking about Wimbledon's all white dress code uh potentially changing uh the United Cup draw announcement and all of the actions so far in Turin at the end of season ATP finals so do not go anywhere Welcome back to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to a lovely Path of the Courts interlude from Joel. Um, what have you got up your sleeve this week for myself and Chris? Mm, yes. <laughs> have I, <laughs> I have spent a long time finding, I was, I'm not, I'm not going to lie, I was, at a, I was at a dead end for a long time mm. thinking for a Path of the Courts for this week. At sometimes I, I was actually messaging Chris and I was like, Chris, can you just can you just send me one my way and give mm. I'll give you a little bit of an advantage. But I have actually managed to pull one pull one out the bag. And right. this path of the courts, it is not a back and forth. This is a give me a number. Old school, yes. Yeah, it's Ooh. a give me a number. So for you and our listeners, what this means is I'm gonna give the topic as usual and Kim, I'm gonna give you first 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 dibs. You're going to give me the number of correct answers you think you can guess. And then okay. Chris is either going to challenge that and say, yeah, I can do better than that uh, and, and tell me his answers. Or he's going to challenge you and say, I, I don't believe you. Tell me your answers. Let's let's see what the topic is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what, what, what is it, Joel? Surprise okay. Us. 
my topic concerns a certain Iga Swiatek, and of course we know she's had fantastic season this year and her win-loss record was won 67 matches lost nine matches and what's quite interesting is those nine matches she lost were against nine different opponents and I would like you to tell me as many players as you can that have defeated Igor Sviantek this season on the WTA tour and I will say there are some bonus points available if you can actually tell me the event that they that they did it at oh wow uh this is tough I can remember maybe oh, I can remember one uh quite recently but <laughs> <laughs> there um, are some interesting I'm not gonna lie there are some interesting names and characters on this list and I think I have been a little bit easy on you in the last few part of the court so I've decided to yeah roll up my sleeves and, and get a little bit Get a little bit harder on on you both. I'm gonna go for f- three. That's not very high, is it? But I just, ooh. I'm gonna say I'm gonna no. I'm gonna say uh, yeah, three. Kim, I'm not gonna challenge you on that because I reckon I can do better than three. Um, I reckon I can do maybe seven. Oh, <laughs> blimey! Okay. Okay, so you are you are you say rather than just give me like four, you're you're going. Oh, wait, like, is that how this works? I'm really going well, for it. You then. could go high. Okay. I'm not gonna lie. If you want to go brave, you've, if you want to go and, and okay, show maybe off, I don't say how many. Much, I'm happy for you to say seven. But okay. bearing in mind, if you give me one incorrect answer, Kim wins the point this week. Okay, well I've um I've made my bed, Joel. Um, Kim, <laughs> um, I think you might be getting this point, but um, we'll go for seven. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. I will try and do it in chronological order and by event. Um, Oh, here we go. Here we go. I believe in Adelaide, she she lost to Ash Barty. In the Australian Open, she lost to Danielle Collins. Um, I think in... She lost to Ostapenko. I think that was in... Was that in Dubai? (laughs) Chris, very good so far, Yes. Those were the um, first first three of the year. So you're, you're doing well on the chronological front. I then think she lost to Garcia in Warsaw. Correct. Yep. Caroline Garcia at the Poland Open. I think it was Cornea at Wimbledon. Correct. Yes, that is five. So two away from defeating Kim. So yeah, at least Cornea at Wimbledon. Uh, this is where I think it gets tricky. This does get tricky. But there is an obvious one there that I'm surprised oh, no one uh, has said. Krajikova. Krajikova and Ostrava. I'm out of order now. Correct. Yeah. Barbora Krajikova at Ostrava. Exclamation point. Exclamation point. Exclamation point. We've got to go for Savalenka. That would be a crime not to get that one in. I mean, this is for your seventh answer. This is for the point. And that's that's a correct answer. I thought that was the easiest one on the list. But yes, Sabalenka at the tour finals most recently, uh, of course, was the most recent opponent to defeat Igor Sviantek. There are still a couple of answers you haven't Shall said. Shall I have a go? Shall I give it a go? Can you get 100%? I, I'd be impressed if you were able to do this. Um, I know that she lost to Madison Keys in Cincinnati. Very good. Yes. Can you go for the the full house? Has this ever happened before? This is exceptional. The last one, I'm really not sure. I know that she lost in Canada, because I know she played Canada, but I really don't know who she lost to. 
I watched this match and oh, did you? Yes, it is. It is correct. Canadian Open, Toronto. I, d- I, d- I don't know who it is. Sorry. Ah, so close yet so far. Are you ready? Yeah. So we had Barty, Collins, Ostapenko, Corne, Garcia, Madison Keys, Barbora Krachikova, Arena Sabalenka, and the player you're missing at the Canadian Open in Toronto, Beatrice Hadadmaya. Oh, Hadadmaya. Yes. I don't think I'd have ever got that. I think I've tried to just remove that from my memory. Um, <laughs> wow. What what a result for her. And what a result, what a result for, for you. For I you, mean, eight out of nine. Oh, yeah. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I'm glad um, I did get, uh, I went too high with the number, I think. I just had to get more than three. So next time I know, you don't have to say something crazy. I would never have been able to match you <laughs> on that one. So I think my, my guess of three was probably quite accurate. As you would have got guess. three, though, that's for sure, right? <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to over-egg the ones I didn't know. But I, I knew, like, Sabalenka, Garcia and and Collins. Was it Collins? No. Yeah. Barty. I've, I've just made up Collins, so I wouldn't have even got that. But that was so right, yeah. yeah. Oh, Collins is right, yeah, at the AO. Yeah. Yes. You'd have got to at least five. Well, Chris takes the point this week. Well, Chris thank definitely you very wins. Much. <laughs> um, we've got a mailbag for this week from Stephen who got in touch via email so thank you very much Stephen um, and I alluded to this earlier but Stephen's asking given the success of the ATP Next Gen Finals should the WTA consider putting on an equivalent event to showcase the best up and coming players on the women's side of the tour um, really interesting question and I feel like from an equality kind of natural kind of perspective you know I I feel like there should be something similar but then when you think about it deeper maybe maybe not Joel what's your um what's your thoughts on this question from Stephen I I agree with you in the sense of instinctively you know we're seeing more and more joined up ventures between the ATP and, and, and WTA tours and I like the um similarities and the parallels you can see between the tours but actually for me this is an event that i don't think you know should exist uh, on the on the w on the wta side i think you know we see you know with players it's easier for female players i think to break onto the tour earlier and so you know the the age restriction i think at, at the moment for like the next gen finals i feel like it just wouldn't work on the on the wta side of things because you know, we get number one players, we get Grand Slam champions happen at very, very young ages. You know, Emma Raducanu at the US Open. So, you know, some of these players we might just naturally see at the, the end of season finals. And as a result of that, the, the players left for this, for me, doesn't necessarily, you know, need that. And I think if you do think of it like, okay, then, well, why don't you kind of lower the, the age? Then, again, I don't think that works because I think you want to protect, you know, young young players and make sure that they have a schedule that is um you know that, that they can, that they can handle so yeah for me this is i don't think for me this is an event that in theory i think yeah it sounds like a good idea maybe on, on like equality terms but actually in practice for me I, I don't necessarily think it would be the best idea hmm joel that's very controversial um <laughs> i'm slightly surprised by that because i was looking i do think it's true that you can get some breakout stars at different mm. ages but I would argue that kind of the presence of um two kind of 19 year olds who are so successful um on the men's side kind of pulls into question like does yeah. it make sense because they're going to play the bigger tournament like Yannick Sinner if he'd qualified he didn't obviously this year he would have also qualified on the 22 20, uh, 21 and under rule um 
And if you look at the top eight for both of the um, men and women, uh, the top eight are all for the under 22s for the men are all um, below 80 in the ranking. And for the women, it is actually 65. So it's actually quite similar Mm, in terms of the players. But some of the players who would have made it out of interest for the women, and we can kind of discuss whether we think this makes sense, would be the world number one. Igor Sviontek would be there. Coco (laughs) Goff, Anisimova, Quinn Wenjang, Fernandez. Um, You were getting excited just listing off these names. Yeah, because I just think, wouldn't that be a great tournament to see some of them? But at the same time, I do think you would have that crossover. So it's actually the same in terms of two players um, who qualified for the end of season Mm. championships would also be in the next gen. So it seems like it's a problem across both. So why not Mm. make it a problem for both? I would say in the name of equality. I mean, that's fair. I mean, that was where my argument was sort of coming from. As soon as you said Igor Sviontek, Coco Goff, I'm just like, it sort of falls down, falls down. Grand Slam final, literally a Grand Slam final. Yeah, exactly. It, it it doesn't feel also like they need the publicity or the or the promotion that I feel like the platform of that next gen branding yeah. is is three there more for. years Coco could play it as well. That's a bit scary, mm. isn't it? <laughs> exactly. So again, I'm, there's there's a lot of danger. I mean, Kim, what do you what do you think? Well, I was just thinking maybe they could make it for a certain age group with a certain ranking. Mm. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe sort of rather than next gen, maybe they should just do an old gen old gen finals of players over 30 oh goodness yep. players on their <laughs> way mean, out to yeah, the over 40s could be last, last last hurrah tournament gets you'll see yeah. one involved oh, it, okay the over 35s uh, it would have to be there and it would just be murray and simon just yeah, trying true. to battle it out Seven ladies can... and jill yeah. simon yeah yeah <laughs> but like yeah You're the luxembourg ladies tournament simon. yeah <laughs> Oh dear. Um, okay, well, that was a, a good talking point from Stephen. Uh, interesting food for thought there. Um, and actually, that does bring us on to uh, a sort of mixed event that we we have, which is the United Cup, uh, which the draw has been announced. So this is the new Hopman Cup that's replaced the ATP Cup. It's happening before the Australian Open. Uh, we've got the draws. Uh, we've got the different groups and where they're going to be playing. So we've got the top six seeds, which are based on the combined ranking of top male and female player. Any guesses for who's the top seed based on the the rankings of the the female and male player taking taking part? Uh, Spain. No. USA. No, it's surely not. Is it? Com- it's not to do with separate rankings, is it? It's the combined ranking. Yeah. Greece. So actually, no, it can't be. Greece. Yeah, number one seed is Greece. Is it the top two players? Then must be. Yes, oh, sorry, of the top male and top female players. So ah. I guess that would be a Sitspass and Zachary job. Mm-hmm. Uh, Poland, number two, Sriontek. Uh, oh, Herkash. And Herkash, and Herkash mm. yeah. Uh, third seed is USA, fourth is Spain, fifth Italy, and sixth France. So they've been spread across the six groups. Group D is pretty interesting. Spain, Australia, and Great Britain. Yeah, for me, that is not an easy group. I don't think that's an easy group for uh, Harriet GB. Dart. Is she playing? Well, I know. I've got renewed sort of confidence given what I've seen in, in the Billie Jean King Cup because Cam Norrie and Dan Evans, yeah, Dart, Swan are kind of the, the four players I'm looking at. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, yeah, how that develops. What I thought was quite interesting about the draw, there is no Canada. There is no Canada in there despite obviously having two top male players, Felix Ojaliasim and Denis Shapovalov. You've obviously got Leila Fernandez, Bianca Eugenie Bouchard. Eugenie Bouchard, exactly. But no Canada in the list. I Rebecca don't think, Marino. Um, 
Exactly. So I was a little bit surprised not to see Canada in the draw. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame. They won it last year as well. I mean, they won the ATP Cup, didn't they? Mm. So they sort of won the equivalent almost. Um, They're on Davis Cup duty at the end of this season. So maybe it's a bit too much for them. Yeah, that is true. But yeah, I think there's some really good good names in this event. Like the, the draw looks good. I think... Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it could. I think Group D is is that. I think Sydney have got the uh, the uh, the tastiest action, but um, I think it will remain to be seen. We'll, we'll see if there's any sort of withdrawals and and that. But yeah. exciting, we already have a draw underway, and I suppose this will all be kicking off in less than two months. It'll be so on us quick, isn't we know it? it? Who yeah. is playing for Norway for the women? <laughs> uh, That's my big question. If anyone question. knows the answer, let us know because that is wild. <laughs> That but is group- a very good question. <laughs> I think it's rare that I can't name a WTA player under a flag and I have zero. Yeah. Well, we'll see some new talent in Brisbane in Group E. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I suppose Brazil, they've got Haddad Meyer, haven't they? For mm-hmm. their Because uh, Brazil are in Norway's group along with Italy. So, yeah. Um, but, I mean, another event a bit further afield. Uh, got a bit more time before this is upon us again. Wimbledon. Uh, news out of the All England Club uh, recently that the dress code is expected to be changed um, to the top layer of clothing only. So this is where we start talking about women's underwear and the uh, the white rule, uh, which is currently in place for, for everything. Um, and, you know, we, we spoke about this when Wimbledon was on and a lot of w- female players were, were speaking out about, you know, when you're kind of menstruating and it's that time of the month, wearing white clothing, white knickers is not great. And Wimbledon looks set to, to change part of the dress code at least uh and be a bit more um i don't know respectful i guess to to you know half of the people at the tournament who would definitely benefit from this but you know not just not just women everyone i think would would benefit from this and um, the men as well the men can wear exactly you know everyone can wear yeah men can wear whatever colored pants pants they like whatever pants they want now so nike's gone back to the drawing board and they're like we need to make a statement this is a thing. They could have like funky patterned pants that show through the the white shorts, and then everyone can. Are you I thinking mean, like Stan's shorts are going to get a, a sequel, like Stan's boxers, like a <laughs> like a, a bumblebee sort of like a, a wasp color coming through? You know, something to really push yeah. that rule because that's that's how you stand out from a sponsorship perspective, right? Exactly. It's going to be all about the pants now. So, <laughs> I mean, in all in all seriousness, now I think this is a you know a great change if it, if it does come through i think we've had so many kind of traditions and i get that you know wimbledon is a steeped in in lots of traditions and that's one of the reasons it has such great appeal with with players and, and spectators but i think it's great to see that sometimes traditions need to be changed or there needs to be things that need to be acknowledged and it's something that has been i think a big talking point this season we're seeing you know for example in the uk we've seen football clubs like west brom and, and man city do similar things and it's great I think to see Wimbledon being part of the innovators they're not sort of resting on their laurels you know it shows that they're listening I think to players um, you know we heard from you know Heather Watson in the summer uh, about the situation and the mindset and the exact extra anxiety that can come being on the, on the tennis court so I think it's great I think to hear the right noises being made regards to this and although I think some people will naturally be disappointed and like that sort of classic all white look I certainly think at the moment it's it's certainly some time for a change yeah I mean it's quite shocking when you look at the history of it I mean 
um, previously, like Tatiana Golovan wore some red mm. knickers when she played, and that was a, a dress code violation. And they actually said she had to go and change it. She refused to. So that was 2007. We've had um, other sort of undergarments have to be changed. Um, Nomi Brody had to play without um, uh, a bra because she was violating the dress code rules. Two juniors had to change their underwear. So I think as much as we can look at this as being heralding as a positive thing, I think it's a case where, I mean, in 2017, they probably didn't have to make juniors go and change their underwear to play at Wimbledon. Um, It feels like they've been a little bit behind and they need to do something here. And um, less, I don't think celebrating, I think it's more about time would be my reaction. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we really shouldn't have to, in 2022, have to talk about tennis players' underwear full stop. Um, and it's a bit Completely. stupid that we do. <laughs> so uh, on that note, let's talk about the ATP end of season finals instead, which are well and truly underway. We've got the last of the singles uh, opening group matches uh, getting underway shortly with Novak Djokovic against Stefanos Tsitsipas. Uh, already had wins for Kasper Ruud, Taylor Fritz and Andrei Rublev. Uh, the Rublev match today was especially quite exciting. The last set tie-break win over Medvedev. Um, but what do you make of what we've seen so far? I think we had a straight sets for Kasper Ruud, a straight sets for Taylor Fritz over, over Rafa. Um, Rafa struggling quite a bit in that second set. 6-1. Kim, I've noticed you're trying to glance over the Rafa, the Rafa loss. Uh, well... I mean, you were watching it. What we, what did you make? Because that second set, 6-1. Yeah. I think Taylor Fritz, I think I was reading, it's he's he's the first player since Dominic Team. I think, a few years ago to have beaten Nadal twice in one mm. season. What is it about the tour finals and Nadal that is just not a good... It's not a good mix. It's not. Indoor hard courts, uh, it's probably the, the main answer, I think, over the course of his career, plus the fact that it's at the end of the season. Mm. And Rafa's obviously often either not there at all or there in a sort of fairly tired, injured state. Um, I still don't think he's 100%. And this, he's still, you know, he hasn't really had the recent kind of match practice under his belt. Um, I did feel like that that first set was quite pivotal when he when he lost that tiebreaker. I thought, oh, doesn't really. I'm not feeling it. I don't think he's feeling it. Um, and we saw, you know, kind of Taylor Fritz run away more or less with that second set. But you know, I, I mean, I'm still surprised Rafa's here. To be quite honest with you, I just, um, you know, he's we've seen him not not be at this event so many times. So um, I don't really have any expectations. So we'll see how he fares against Felix tomorrow. Um, on the note of Felix, I was also a bit disappointed that Felix lost to to Kasparud. I thought Felix, given his yeah, recent I was a bit surprised form, by that. Yeah, I was kind of tipping him. But, you know, it's a group. It's group. It's round robin. They they can still come back. There is still hope for them both. It does feel like the results we've had so far, the fact that Taylor Fritz was the eighth seed, beat the number one seed. We've had very, very close matches. Rublev also finally getting a win over Daniel Daniel Medvedev I feel like in that rivalry it's been very very one-sided up to certainly up to this season anyway but it genuinely feels like everyone I'm I'm looking at these matches so far and thinking everyone can beat everyone and we can mm. get a few more I think we're in for a few more shocks and surprises on the way in the round robin does that imply that anyone can beat Novak Djokovic oh. in the round I robin think so. can, I think so I think yeah Ooh, I right. guess that Holger did do it recently on an indoor court. But mm. on that Nadal point, Kim, I think that the serve still isn't quite right. Um, mm. I looked at the serve stats for that one and he won 59% of first serve points and just 20% of second serve points, which um, in this sort of match that I was watching, I don't think that Taylor was particularly aggressive off both wings off the return of serve. Um, I think it's a case that the serve isn't quite 
back where he'd want it to be. And on an indoor court, you really want those cheap points. Um, for example, like Casper, who's obviously also not known as being, you know, the biggest server on the tour. Uh, he didn't face a single break point. So it's definitely one where um, I think that is still a, sort of an issue for Nadal. And I guess I'd ask the question, it's hard to know where his level is at and only he will know how well he's training. But it does seem from his last couple of matches that maybe he's chasing this one because he hasn't won it. But maybe it's not yeah. the best decision to play uh, yeah. in Turin this week. Still, like the after effects of that abdominal tear mm. earlier in the season really affecting his um, mm. his servant. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's the wisest decision, but maybe he's also thinking, I may not get the chance to play this event again and I'm kind of fit enough to be there. So I might as well kind of make the most of it and we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, Djokovic tonight. I mean, I think given the given what we've seen, I, I still Djokovic for me will be the, the standout favourite to win this event still, um, despite having lost in the final of the Paris Masters. But uh, we'll see. The Brits, though, in the doubles, they're three mm. from three so far. Joe Salisbury, Lloyd Glasspool. Neil Skupski. And, uh, Neil Skupski today. Yep, so that that's great. We've got good representation <laughs> for British doubles. Um, so hopefully one of them teams can, can walk away with the title. Um, but that brings us pretty much to a close. But we will be back next week to round up the ACP end of season finals. And... Uh, yeah, digest what's ha- what happens in Turin over the next uh, seven days. And we're also going to look forward to the Davis Cup. So, yeah, still plenty of tennis to come, as we know, with this <laughs> never-ending never ending tour, what it feels like at times. But, yeah, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this latest catch-up with the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us on whatever device you listen to us on. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. And let us know all your thoughts, any questions for the mailbag, any feedback uh, that you'd like to give. Uh, we always love hearing from all of you lovely listeners. And if you prefer, you can also email us instead at tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website, www.tennisweekly.co.uk. And we are going to be back on Thursday at Tennis Weekly HQ. We've actually got a recording from the Billie Jean King Cup finals. Me and Chris had a interview with the tournament director, Rebecca James. So look out for that one. We're probably going to be posting it on Thursday. We've also, of course got our tennis weekly diaries live from the event from the Billie Jean King Cup day one to day four so if you haven't already check out those pods but in the meantime it's goodbye from Chris goodbye it's goodbye from Kim goodbye and it's goodbye from myself we'll see you again soon